So Bonifer is talking about in this book about community. And what he does is talk about um, what it means to be an individual in community, what it means to be a community of individuals. And in the middle of the book, in chapter 3, he talks about what does a community do together? What do people, when they gather together, do? Do they go um, eat lots of turkey? Do they play video games? Um, do they hang out? Do they talk? There are a couple of marks of community. So he talks about the marks of the community. Um, in fact, if, if you could pull up that graphic, that sewing and growing graphic, these are the marks of our community. As a church plant, um, we've discerned the baseline of our behaviors and our activities, the things that we do as a church together. Um, summertime is a hard time to gather just because so many of us are um, so many of us are away or out of town. But the months of September to May, September to May, I call this our sowing season, when we sow seeds. When we gather together, we do the community things. We do community things. Four of those community things, you can see them listed here, are workplace examines. We'll talk about that today. We have prayer meetings on Wednesday night that take place right here in this room. At, it starts at 7.30. Prayer, prayer meetings from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Um, I've been attending those regularly, and it's a very powerful, powerful time when all of the congregations of Kingdom City gather together. It's incredibly multi-ethnic. The last time I was at the prayer meeting here, um, we had prayers in English, Spanish, Portuguese, Tagalog, uh, French, um, so on and so forth. It was a, a very beautiful. The pastor, Pastor John, was asking me, can you pray in Korean? And I said, you don't want to hear me pray in Korean. Nobody will understand it, but um, it, it just wouldn't sound right anyway. So um, we have our Wednesday night prayer meeting. We also have Sunday school. Um, those of you that are in Sunday school, I know there's three people here. Thumbs up, thumbs down. People seem to be really enjoying it. You know, we talk about the inductive method. Andrew, you and I talk a lot about that. Inductive method is working just great. We're going to be finished with the Gospel of Mark in about two years. And that's, I think, the way to do it. Um, I, I can tell we're really getting a lot. Seriously, I think we've been in Mark for about a month, maybe two months, and we're only up to chapter 6. We didn't even finish it. So that means we're doing it the right way. We're really getting into it. Sunday school happens here at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, although next Sunday we're taking a break, but we're going to pick it up again on December 2nd. Um, and then finally, uh, community groups. So Andrew, we are having a community group this coming Saturday. Where? Sonia's house. So Sonia is hosting community group. Um, we're going to have to get your address, so stick around after. Okay, Andrew's going to send it out. So just look for an email. So we're gathering um, at, is it 5, 5 p.m.? 5 p.m. this coming Saturday at Sonia's house. So we'll look forward to a good time there. So these are the rhythms of community. What, what does a community do? These are the things we do. These are the things we do. And in particular, what I want to talk about today is one of the things that we do, which is the examine. And um, the examine, if you can pull up that picture of our gathering, Ryan, on Wednesday, the examine is a spiritual discipline where you get together in a group, or you can even do this individually. Um, I do an examine almost every day of my life, sometimes twice a day, in the morning and at night. And it's a powerful, powerful tool. 
an examination of conscience, and I'm going to teach what that is, but here you see our noonday examine. You might even see some unfamiliar faces. That's because the examine is accessible to everybody. Everybody, even if you don't identify yourself as a believer in Christ, everybody wants to talk about the most important subject. Me. <laughs> Everybody wants to say, this is what's going on in my life. Everybody wants to talk about. And so the examination gives a wonderful opportunity. And once a month, um, downtown at Fa Saigon on um, Milam, Milam uh, we gather together and we do an examination of conscience. We also do it periodically on Saturdays. And again, you could do this on your own. You know, really the basis of this examine is quite simply this. How is your walk with the Lord? How is your soul? And for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have asked each other the question because we as a fellowship of believers are not content with saying, well, how is your week? Or what about the Astros? What about them rockets? But when we get together, we cut straight to the heart of the matter. Why waste our time talking about the pleasantries or the you know, just the, the kind of non-essential. We cut straight to the essential and we say, how is your walk with the Lord? That's what Christians have done. The examine fills that purpose. The examine is our way of cutting through kind of, my week's good, nothing's new, no news is good news. You know, cutting through it and getting straight to the matter. What's going on deep down inside? And it's a facilitated way to ask that soul question. What's going on deep down inside. And so what I want to do is go through in five headings, and if you look in your notes, and we've passed out notes today, the five sections that we go through when we do our examination of conscience, the five sections. Now, mind you, when we actually do this in a group, like you saw in the picture, um, each of these five sections, some of these sections has more than one line. But we go through line by line, and we ask each other these questions. And you'd think that it seems a little bit, it's, it's a little bit, um, it, it might seem a little bit, I don't know, um, overstructured, but it's actually pretty awesome. For those who've participated in it, I've seen, I've heard, and I've seen um, tears, I've heard confessions, I've seen people who don't call themselves Christians open up about deep stuff. So it's, it's a great tool, and it's a, it's a wonderful gift for our community. In fact, this is our examine. It's customized, so we call it the woven examine. So this is our very own examine. So I'm going to launch right into the first of five. The first of five. Before, let me do this real quick. Before I launch into the first of the five sections, um, I want to recommend this book. In fact, I have four free copies left. Four free copies, and this book... Andrew, I gave you one, right? Yeah. Um, this book called A Simple Life-Changing Prayer, Discovering the Power of St. Ignatius Loyola's Examine, talks about um, how to pray the examine. This is not by a theologian. This is by a layperson who's learned to pray and pray well using this tool. And uh, it's a great little book. Easy read, but deep. So, four copies and you're going to have to fight over them. I'm going to put them, I'm going to put one on each chair over here. And if you want one, you're going to have to come up front. You know, if we run out and you'd like a copy, just let me know. 
the church will get you a copy. We'll get you a copy. So we have four copies there in the front, free for anybody who wants them. Let's launch into the first section of the examine. The first question that we ask when we gather together is, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for today? What are the things that you are grateful for? And we start with an attitude of gratitude. Now, it's important that we start on this note of gratitude. Um, and you'll see why eventually. But let's say you're having a bad day, like just like we, in that picture you saw us gathered at lunch. Sometimes, you know, somebody might say the first half of my day was really tough. It was really difficult. You know, I got into a conflict with my boss, or there's some challenges that I'm having with some coworkers, and then you show up, and you can just sit there and complain and complain and complain, and we're listening to you complain, and we're like, okay. The examine is not a complaint session, friends. The examine, the purpose of the examine is not dumping. And there's a difference between dumping and sharing. And that's why we start off on the note of gratitude. You see, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, In everything, give thanks. In everything. In the Greek, they're quite literally in all. Whether it's the good or even the seemingly bad, we give thanks. And this is important that we start off on this because the examine is first and, foremost, first and foremost about an examination of God's grace. It is possible, hear me on this, for us to live our lives so stuck in ourselves or stuck in our own heads with the blinders on. It's, I'm going to work. I'm living my life. It's possible for us to completely miss the showers and showers and showers of blessing and love and grace. And if we live our lives without recognizing the many ways that God shows us grace, His gifts, then we're already off to a bad start. So the gratitude portion, this first piece is very important because it gets us in the right frame of mind. It's recognizing that God is at work in the good. Oh, thank God, I'm, I'm, I'm starting my exam, and I'm grateful today because I got a raise, I got a promotion, or... I won the lottery, or my, I just, you know, we're, we can be grateful for all these things, but really, no, no, no. You can already see that there's, there's something false about that. Unless we learn how to be thankful for the good, but also the seemingly bad, we will never really mature spiritually. Gratitude is the ability to break through with perspective and to see God's presence not just in the good things but to see God even in the seemingly bad. Let me illustrate with a story. Um, there was a young child who moved into a new neighborhood. And he was not very popular, and he had a hard time adjusting. And when he was in class, the teacher told all the students, well, it's Valentine's Day, and so get ready to make your Valentine. And when he came home, he said, Mom, I want to make a a valentine for every single one of my classmates. I want to make 35 valentines. And she said, oh, honey, I wish you wouldn't. And she, she, 
She knew that he was new to the neighborhood. She knew that he wasn't very popular. And she knew that this was just setting himself up. But she gave in to his request, and she helped him. They stayed up late just the night before, and he made 35 Valentines. And on Valentine's Day, she sent him off to school, and she held her breath. Finally, 3 o'clock comes around, and she drives up slowly, and she sees her son behind all of his classmates. And all the classmates are smiling, and they're holding all of these red and pink pieces of paper, and they're all talking to each other. And he's in the back, alone, with his hands in his pockets, walking with his head down. And her heart sank. And she thought she could hear this little boy saying to himself, not one, not a single one. And as he climbed into the car, this young boy climbed into the car, she looked at him in the rearview mirror and turned around and said, how was your day? And his response was not one, not a single one. And she said, I'm so sorry. But then he cut her off and he said, I didn't forget a single person. I didn't forget a single one. I didn't forget a single person. You see, in this tragic little story, which sounds really kind of pathetic, we see the ability of a person in the midst of what could be really a real downer, have the ability to bounce back with perspective. This is the first fill in the blank in your notes under that first gratitude, under the first section of gratitude. The challenge for you is to bounce back with perspective. To bounce back with perspective. Gratitude is the spiritual discipline of bouncing back with perspective. Now, this is not just an optimistic message, me, the pastor, just trying to get you to, be, to think the glass is half full. This is me saying that the spiritual discipline that enables you to bounce back in the midst of tragic life circumstances, no one gave you a valentine, the spiritual discipline of gratitude is exercising that muscle, that ability to bounce back. We might ask ourselves, why is it that I'm unable to bounce back and I'm in this funk and there's this cloud over my head and I can't seem to bounce back? It's because the spiritual muscle of gratitude is not exercised. When we don't exercise, and it is a muscle, it is a muscle, when we don't exercise that muscle of gratitude, what happens is we have this inability to bounce back and certainly without perspective. The ability to bounce back with perspective grows stronger as we practice the gratitude. Why? Is, it, is, it, is there some secret power in gratitude? Is there some secret power in saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The more I say thank you, somehow there, there, there's some, it makes me feel better. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is our spiritual eyes open and we're no longer looking at just ourselves. We're looking at God. And we're able to see that everything that I have the heartbeat that I just beated, the breath I just took in, the meal that I just ate, the love that I experienced from my loved ones, the friends that I have, the community that I have here in Houston, all of these things are gifts. They're graces. It's not about improving my attitude. It's about the ability to turn my gaze away from myself onto God. That's the purpose of gratitude. That's the first section we move on to the second section. Second, second section, 
the questions go like this, and we actually ask this of each other. We say, what do you need to take notice of today? What do you need to notice today? And we say, what do I really need from God today? What do you need to take notice of today? And what do I really need from God today? This second group of questions is about an examination of my desires. Second group of questions, the purpose is examining desires. So the first section is about examining gratitude, examining graces. The second is examining desires. You know, when Jesus dies on the cross in Luke chapter 23, in the midst of his pain, he's able to look out at other people. I I don't know how he does it. If it was me, I would be completely self-absorbed, completely in my own head. But on the cross, what are the famous words that Jesus says? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Here is the Son of God on the cross beholding all of humanity in front of him and able to indict us, not as evil or dark or sinister or evil people, but as people who simply don't know what we're doing or why we're doing. We are misguided. We are lost. We're not aware. Now, sin is a thing. Sin is a very real thing. But there is also this sense that why do you do what you do? Why are we stuck in the the ways that we're... We we don't know why we do the things we do. You know, it's interesting. um, This examine, the purpose of the examine is about awareness. It's about developing an awareness. What is it that I really need at this time? What are the deep things that I really need in this moment? I was leading a group of seminary students. I was... um, Um, teaching them the examine, or I was was guiding them in this very spiritual practice of the examine. And uh, as I was leading these students, there was one student who had already gone through this, his training in the examine. And so he kept raising his hand and saying, actually, that's not the right way to do it. And I said, oh, okay. What's the right way to do it? He said, you're supposed to do it like this. So I said, I said, okay. So let's try it this way. And we got a little further. And then again, he said, actually, that's wrong too. And I'm thinking to myself, this person has a very strong need to prove that he knows more about this than me, more about this than any of us, which is ironic. It's ironic because the whole purpose of the examine is to know yourself, is to know what it is that you're really trying to do, what you really want, what you really need. And what I discerned was in this person a strong need to justify or some kind of insecurity. He was an expert in the examine and yet at the same time didn't really know exactly. He he didn't know himself, which defeats the purpose. You know, the examination gets at that question that Jesus asks God or he, he, he prays to God. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So the examine gets to the question, what am I doing? Why am I working here? Why am I doing this? Why am I chasing this? What are my desires? What are the things that I need? What are the deep appetites of my soul? You know, the thing is, we think desires are bad. We think desires are all evil. 
but they're not. There are desires that are good as well. There are holy desires. There are beautiful desires. Especially if you're Asian, there is shame attached to that. But the thing is, desires, many ways, are pathways to understanding how we're relating to God. God, this is what I really want. And, in the, and the exam teaches us to look at that. Okay, you really want that? Is that what you really want? Let's look at that. Why do you really want that? You know, learning to examine our desires, and that's the second fill-in-the-blank. Under the second, second heading, the fill-in-the-blank is examine, examine your desires. Think about them. This is what I want. This is what I need in my life. It's important to examine our desires because it's quite easy for us. It's quite easy for us to over-spiritualize things and to completely miss what's right in front of our nose. Here's another story. There's an apocryphal story about the philosopher Socrates. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but I thought it was a good illustration, this story about Socrates, who was one day approached by a young man. And here's this eminent philosopher, Socrates, and the young man comes up to him and says, Socrates, and Socrates falls at his knees, and he says, I will follow you, I will follow you. And Socrates says, why? Socrates, because I, and the young man says, because I want knowledge. I want to know, I want knowledge. And Socrates says, he doesn't say anything. So he takes, he puts his arm around the young man, and he leads him all the way to the sea. And then he takes this young man and he wades into the water, into the, into the sea, until they're chest deep in water. And the young man looks at him and says, why are we here? And then Socrates looks at him, and then he grabs his hair and he shoves him underwater. And the young man's like, and then he lets him up, and Socrates says, what do you want? And the young man says, no, uh, knowledge. Oh, why, Socrates, I want knowledge. And then Socrates grabs his head and shoves him underwater again. 30 seconds pass. And then he lets him up and he says, what do you want? And the man says, oh, wise and great Socrates, I want knowledge, knowledge. And he grabs his head and he puts it underwater. 50 seconds passes by. And then finally he lets him up and he says, what do you want? And the young man says, knowledge, Socrates. I and the last time he shoves him down. And then finally he lets him, he says, what do you want? And the man says, air, air, I need air, I need air. And finally, finally he gets it. Socrates says, you got it. As soon as you recognize what you really want, what you really need in this life, then you'll get knowledge. The moral of the story is oftentimes we come looking for some spiritual special knowledge, whether it's from the church or whether it's from the priest or whether it's from the radio or we're looking for some insightful knowledge and we're filling our head with more and more information, but we don't know what's going on inside. It takes spiritual practice to silence out all of the voices and to calmly sit and to say, what is it that I really need? It takes a spiritual discipline to be able to discern my desires, my deep needs, and my deep concerns. So first off, in this first section, we examine God and the ways God has been active in our life. But secondly, we start to examine what's really going on inside of me. We examine our desires. We examine God's grace. 
and then we examine our desires. That's the second. But then let's move on to the third section here. The third section is an examination of our emotions. Our emotions. Where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid, or any other strong emotion? Do I owe an apology, or do I have any outstanding amends to make? That's two lines right there. We usually do that with two separate questions. And you might think, that sounds a little kind of morbid. That sounds a little heavy. That sounds kind of like you're, 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 making, us, you're making us think about hard stuff. Actually, the purpose of it, the purpose of it is this. A whole day can go by, and you're driving home on your commute, and you're finding that you just want to lean on the horn. What happened throughout the day that is eliciting that reaction? What emotion are we feeling? So whereas we start off, first of all, examining God's grace and the way God has been active in our lives, secondly, we examine our desires. What is it that is really going on inside that I need? Third, we examine my emotions. So when we ask, where am I resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid, we're examining and asking ourselves, whence, from where are these strong emotions coming from? Where are these strong emotions coming from? Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, many of us are familiar with just the first of three parts there. If any of you know it, even by heart. It says, be angry and do not sin. But not many of us know part two and part three of that sentence. Yes, it's one sentence in the Greek. Be angry and do not sin, The second part says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so any any good married couple knows that you shouldn't go to bed angry at each other. So don't let the sun go down. But the third piece, the third piece is the part that people generally don't recite when they call this verse out. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the third part is in verse 27. That's probably why we think it's separate, but it's actually one whole, one whole idea. And that third part is in verse 27. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil an opportunity. This is interesting. What does Paul mean when he talks about in Ephesians 4 how anger somehow connects in the end to giving the devil an opportunity? You see, that verse in the Greek, in verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity, mede didate tapan. That word tapan, tapan is where we get the word topography from, I believe. Topography. Don't give topography to the devil. Do you hear that? Don't give topography. Don't give real estate. Don't give space to the devil. Have you ever been to a church, especially in really traditional old churches, where there's pews and there's names, like there's little um, engraved or little, um, what do you call those? Like a badge or something. But people's names are on the pew, like this is the, this is the Park family pew. Imagine if you came to church and you saw, you know, there were the Wilsons, and then there's the Lees, and then there's the Johnsons, and you see the, the pew, and then you see one pew over here, and there's, there's engraved, like in classic, like expensive gold, and it says, the devil. <laughs> this is the devil's seat. 
You know, I think what Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying is, it's okay to be angry. That's why he says, be angry. But then he continues on, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because if the sun goes down while you're angry, overnight it turns into resentment. And when resentment is never addressed, basically what it does is it gives a permanent seat in the community of God for the devil. And I've seen this at work, not just in my own life, I've seen it even in this community over the years. That when there is a shame or an anger or a fear or something that's unexpressed, especially, I, I know I keep coming back to Asian culture, it's because that's what I am, that's what I understand the most, but for shame, I would never mention that. For shame, I would never talk about how I really feel. For shame, I would never express my true feelings. Why? Because, well, that's just shameful. That's just what we don't do. But what happens is when that emotion is not expressed, expressed, you know, when I think of that word expressed, I think of like popping a zit. It's not expressed, it festers underneath. And that is what actually gives permanency within the community of God. Now, mind you, Paul in Ephesians He's not just giving us theology, like spitting out like a machine theology after he's talking about how to care for the community. He has an agenda. How do we keep the community together? This new experiment in the New Testament Paul is talking about between Jew and Gentile, it's not just the church, it's the multi-ethnic church. Jesus is saying, how do we keep the multi-ethnic church together? Because it's about to fall apart. He says the number one way to keep the multi-ethnic church together is to examine, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give a seat to the devil. In other words, what Paul is saying is strong emotions. Strong emotions, if they are not expressed, if they're not communicated, but allowed to fester overnight, they essentially give room or the enemy to sow seeds of discord and to tear the community apart. That which tears a community apart is not even anger. It's not even angry. Anger, I don't want to say it's healthy, but anger is a thing. You can have anger. But the thing is, if that thing turns into resentment and a strong underlying emotion that festers and never gets expressed, that is the thing that tears the community apart. And that's why, that's why this third part of the examine is so important. Because when we say, what strong emotion am I feeling? It gives us an opportunity to express that. It gives us an opportunity to not let the devil have a foothold, not just in the community, but in your personal life. Hey, man, are you okay? You look down. I'm fine. No, obviously, you're not fine. Or, hey, is there something going on, sister, in your life? And I don't want to talk about it. But the thing is, those emotions are the very thing. They live underground. They fester. They give a seat to discord. So when we ask that question, where was I resent, resentful, selfish, really, 
That's the fill in the blank. The third fill in the blank in your notes is beware. Beware, and you can fill in the blank with whatever strong emotion you feel at this moment. Beware that shame. Beware that resentment. Beware that fear, that apathy, that anger, that selfishness, that dishonesty. Whatever that strong emotion is, it needs to be examined. Now, you can tell the examination. You know, it's, believe it or not, it actually is very effective. And all those who participate in it, they, they, they derive riches from it. Fourth section. This is where you can tell that it really starts to heat up a little bit. The question is, am I hiding anything that for danger to my soul needs to get out into the open as soon as possible? Essentially, confession. Confession. I think Bonifer talks about this so well. He says, confession in the presence of a brother or the sister is the profoundest kind of humiliation. And because this humiliation is so hard, we continually scheme to evade doing it. We find ways to evade confessing. I can tell you the one thing that will kind of break apart this entire practice, that will uh, kind of undercut the examine completely, the one thing that would make it ineffective is if we come to this question and we, as Bonifer says, if we scheme to evade somehow, evade this question. I know it. Maybe some of you who've done this know it as well. Can I find a way to kind of not tell the truth? And the thing is, and this is the fourth fill in the blank in your notes, we're really only as sick as our secrets. We're only as sick as our secrets. In other words, the things that are counterproductive to your spiritual life, the thing that's counterproductive to my spiritual life, is secrecy. That which I keep secret more and more actually is that which harms my soul more and more. The great revivals throughout Christian history have always had a question like this. They've always given some kind of opportunity to talk about and to confess our sins. But if we continue to, in the words of Bonifer, scheme to evade this question or to evade confessing, then really it, it, har it harms no one, no one else but yourself, but ourselves. No one else is hurt more by it but ourselves. Secrecy is counterproductive. I'm only as sick as my secrets. That's the fourth fill in the blank. But then here we can conclude with the fifth and the last question. The fifth and the last set of questions, actually. Was I kind and loving towards all, or was I thinking of myself most of the time? What do I need to do different today? And what action steps will I undertake for the next 24 hours? This is the fifth and the last section. So if the first section was about gratitude, it's examining God's grace, looking at God's graces. The second section is about examining our desires. So examine what do I need. The third section is about examining emotions, what strong emotions are there that I need to express? The fourth section is about confession. Confession. The fifth and the last section here is about action. Because it's not enough for us to talk about this stuff. We need to live it out. 
People are not convinced by words. The last fill in the blank in your notes is people will believe behavior. Don't tell me, I'm a changed man. Hallelujah, I'm different. Don't tell me, I have good thoughts and good feelings. Show me behavior that's different. They will believe behavior is the fifth fill in the blank. You see, all throughout the Gospels, there is an emphasis on fruit. And we've been talking about this in Sunday school. In Sunday school, we've been talking about how Jesus is constantly looking for evidence for fruit. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, the Pharisees come to Jesus. They look for baptism. They look for something. And Jesus says, you brood of vipers. He says all these things. But then he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, what he's saying is, if your heart or if your, if your mouth is saying, I want to change or these are the things I want to be different or these are the things that I want to do with my life, I'll believe behavior. Show me the action. So when, Bonab- I'm sorry, when Jesus says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he's saying, show me. Show me. Because in the end, a thorn bush, a thorn bush cannot produce figs. If you are an apple tree and you're looking lovingly and longingly over at that tree over there that produces watermelon, and you say, I wish I was a watermelon tree. I just wish I could just change. Do you think, thinking to myself, I, I wish I could just, thinking and suddenly transforming and like watermelons will come out. The message of the gospel is we can only bear what we really are. Out of the heart come the things that we say. Out of the heart and the thoughts of the mind come actions. Don't expect different behavior if your heart is not changed. Don't expect to act differently if something is not happening inside your heart. It's not going to work. It's not going to last very long. If you're thinking that I'm just going to act differently or I'm just going to try to be a certain way, but your heart is not changed, then whatever you're doing is just going to last for a season and then you're going to relapse back into the old behavior. Because fundamentally, thorn bushes don't produce figs. Apple trees don't produce watermelon. You just naturally produce what you are. And Jesus recognizes this. And when he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he knows that because there has not been an internal heart change in the Pharisees, there will be no good fruit. There is no good fruit unless something changes in the heart. The first four questions are all about heart change. The fifth question is about attitudinal change. It's about behavioral change. Behavioral change. And this is where I can land this plane and conclude by saying this. How many of you know what it's like to say, I've been trying to be different, I've been trying to change my life, I just can't. All of us, to some degree, know this. And the frustration of the human experience when we say, oops, I did it again. (laughs) I continually default back to those old patterns of relationships or old dependencies or old behaviors, I repeatedly go back, oops, I did it again, how can there be salvation for me? 
And that is why, friends, we go back to question one. And we examine not me or how I can change, but we examine God's grace. We look at God's grace. And by looking at God's grace, that is what changes us internally. You see, this examination is something we do regularly, repeatedly. When we get to question five and we realize, I'm going to make an action step, I'm going to change something, you know, at the noonday exam and we say, I'm going to go back to the office and I'm going to love my coworker and I'm going to end off great. But instead, we go back to the office and what happens? We, we pull our hair out and we're yelling at everybody and then we drive home and we lean on the horn. And we realize that change is a lot harder than we realize, but then we go back the next morning to what? Question one. And we start again and we recognize God's graces. You know, the examination is something that you don't have to do in a group. I challenge you. I challenge you. How many of you here could really use somebody to talk to regularly? As I've said, even for me, I practice this almost every day of my life, sometimes twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. It's medicine for the soul. You know, you don't have to wait until our noonday exam or our community group to do this. Quite simply, you can say, hey, um, you know, Blake, do you mind if I just call you on Wednesday nights and we just go through the exam together? Would you mind if I just did that? There's nothing saying you can't do that. You can do that. You can take this and say, hey, Bo, or, you know, I'm, sh I mean, I'm, I'm picking on the men here, but, you know, it's, it's oftentimes easier to do this by gender, right? Or if Shelly says, you know, to Tracy, or any of you can say to each other, what, w would you mind if I called you once a week or once a day or just however often? And we just went through these questions. There's no, nothing that says you can't do that. This is a tool. It's a highly reproducible tool that we've been using at Woven. And it's a tool for you that you can use. Use it. Use it. Don't just wait for our noonday exam or community group. Use it. Because this, these five sections, this cycle, especially as we repeat it again and again, it becomes a spiritual formation. It becomes a formation of our lives. It becomes a healthy practice. I think it was a great way, Paul, that you started us off this morning thinking about Thanksgiving. Perfect. That's an attitude of gratitude right from the get-go. And invite the worship team back up. What were some of those things? When Paul asked you in the beginning of our service those things that you're grateful for as we get into Thanksgiving season... What were those gratitudes that you reflected on? Maybe you were grateful for your work. Or maybe you were grateful for a relationship. Maybe you were grateful, especially in light of, I mean, we're one year out from Hurricane Harvey. You're just grateful to have a roof over your head. there's some consolation. You've had something that's made you feel that there is hope. There's some consolation, something that's made you feel there's meaning, there's purpose. 
you're grateful for that. If we can just dim the house lights, I want to just give you some time to just pray prayers of thanksgiving. I just want to allow you this moment between you and your God just some time to express your thanks.